From the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Hi, this is Robert Seidman. Thanks for listening. And today joining me for a college football ratings extravaganza are Austin Karp of the Sports Business Journal and uh, Matt Roberts of D1 Ticker, who have both been on the podcast before. Uh, but now that uh, college football's regular season is over, I thought it would be a good time to check in with a uh, broad overview of the TV ratings. And I like the idea of pairing Matt and Austin up. Austin has been at this for a while, and uh, he knows the lay of the land. And uh, Matt is very familiar with the college sports administration administration landscape so he has sort of a good sense of uh what kind of heart palpitations athletic directors uh, might be experiencing as uh, austin is rattling off the ratings so austin matt welcome back to the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports tv ratings thanks for having us thanks robert good to be here again yeah so uh austin you know i thought i'd just turn it over to you to start with uh with whatever kind of broad overview uh, of the uh, of the regular season, you feel like given. All right. Well, you know, let's, I guess we can start at some sort of thirty thousand foot level, and you know, I, I know we talk about or you talked about how the, the regular season is over for a lot of these for all these networks. They include like the conference championship games, and I guess what is a regular season number. Yeah, that makes um, sense. Yeah. So, like you know, CBS always traditionally one of the better packages with the SEC football going on there. I mean, they're down 15% headed into this Georgia-Auburn game, which is, you know, better than where they were earlier in the season. They have kind of struggled this year um, outside of Alabama and maybe, you know, Auburn. Some of these games have been really bad. So the Georgia-Auburn game, with the implications that it has, should really, you know, should help them cut into that 15% decline from last year. But just not, not a really good season for SEC football on, on CBS. Uh, Notre Dame too on NBC, like you know, a lot of a lot of talk earlier in the season. They were doing well. A lot of those NBC games were not very good. Some lopsided scores, bad matchups, and you know, NBC ended up with their lowest Notre Dame viewership since around 2011. And now, and they were down headed into even the Miami um, before the Miami uh, loss, excuse me. Right. So not a, not a really good season for them as well. Um, I think ABC, ESPN. I don't, I don't have exact updated numbers there, but they're having a respectable season, and they'll also get some good numbers from the championship games this weekend. And Fox, because they added some of these Big Ten games this year, you know, including Michigan, Ohio State this past weekend, you know, they're probably going to have their, their best season yet, as, uh, too. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I don't I don't know quite what slice of the numbers you get uh, or, or, or what your relationship with with Nielsen on that stuff is. But uh, can can you speak sort of to the impact of 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 their of their you know, what impact having more games and more windows did sort of, of of smoothing out, you know, overall declines, if that makes any sense. So so like when I look at and and the last time I saw these numbers was like four weeks ago. And uh, overall, college at the, at the time that the college numbers were down, I think, four uh, percent in consumption. Um, but that was helped out a little bit by by extra windows. And I'm just wondering if you if you have any insight on that. Well, I, I just think that, I mean, it's no surprise that there are just there's just a lot of football out there now, a yep. lot of networks airing, a lot of college football. And it's not like your NFL Sunday where you have one window, five, six games rolled up in it. Every single college football game is available now, yep. which is great if you're a fan. But if you're a TV executive, it's, you know, it, it could be uh, <laughs> a little maddening, I, I suppose. But uh 
Fox, I know Mike Mulvihill this season has really been promoting that they have had, you know, more college football available than ever, and their consumption is higher than ever because, yep. you know, they're airing three games on Fox, three games or two games on FS1. You know, they've really picked up their college football coverage. Yeah, so so you know one of the, one of the things with the, with the ratings is we're we're stuck in the world of uh, you know only the stuff that gets measured is is sort of what we see and and uh, and that makes sense because measurement is expensive. But like, do you have any idea like you know what what part of the picture are we missing by the stuff that's not measured from the uh, SEC network to the Pac-12 network to the you know CBS Sports Network to regional networks airing regional games. You know, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but, uh, I mean, like you said, those, those networks like maybe Big Ten Network and SEC Network aren't traditionally Nielsen measured. Uh, there might just be, you know, some internal numbers there. Um, I can't imagine they're getting incredibly large numbers. But uh, And then you're also talking about we're just now seeing measurement of streaming, and yep. you know, but that's not moving the needle so much that it, that would affect these numbers uh, up or down percentage-wise. Yeah. So, uh, Matt, what what what's your initial reaction to uh, to the numbers that uh, Austin rattled off? So, interestingly, Austin and I had a Twitter exchange. I don't know a month or so ago, specifically about SEC on CBS. And I think at the time, Austin, you said it was down closer to thirty percent. So they've yeah, cut into yeah, that. Uh, they've cut it. Yeah, they've cut into that dip a little bit. Obviously, last weekend's Alabama Auburn Iron Bowl. Uh, did a massive number and you know Auburn Georgia this weekend is not going to make up the entire 15 percent for the entire year but it should be a really healthy again a really healthy number however I do think it's a it's a real indication we hear fans talk about it all the time around the industry of you know the SEC is down because there's dominance in the west the east now you have Georgia coming onto the scene but by and large it feels a little cyclical where the the uh, across the board on balance competitiveness might be down a touch and I think that's probably reflected in some of the ratings that we saw early in the season to me the story and you guys have already touched on to me the story is what fox has done with the additional windows obviously they've had some really premier big 10 games as as per their contract they they knew they were going to have but it's really come out into fruition with the numbers that we've seen from a ratings and viewership standpoint the other storyline that i find interesting and it was um a bit on the last point you guys were uh, we're, we're banding about here, and that's numbers we don't quite know about given uh, networks that aren't rated. But I'm going to take it in a bit of a different direction. And some of the stuff that the Mountain West has done on taking the broadcast of their games uh, onto social platforms, and, and like, let's be clear, and as a disclaimer, we're not talking apples to apples when we talk about number of views on Facebook or yeah. engagement on Facebook versus true ratings points. However, the Mountain West would tell you they've had some really well-viewed um, games into the hundreds of thousands for particular matchups, and, and uh, I'll try to find those as we talk. Which So that's an interesting trend because, Austin, you and, and John O'Ran know this space way better than me, but as we talk about new deals for some leagues here in the next couple of years, but for the bigger leagues here in the next four to six years, and the role of digital players either as standalones or as accompanying pieces to – to overall rights agreements, I think, of course, that's a fascinating, uh, that's a fascinating numbers game to watch as it matriculates into the actual larger deals themselves here in a couple of years. Yeah, yeah I agree with you. Like, yeah, there's there's definitely going to be more of a technology company play with a lot of these college rights, um, especially given some of the maybe younger audience that might be watching college football. And yeah, you know, a, a conference like the Mountain West can afford to experiment with with a play like that. 
Yeah, Austin, like what kind of, I mean, you're on the editorial side as well. Like what, what are the, what are the things here that, uh, not, not just you, but others that, uh, at sports business journal, uh, are, are really keeping their eye on as far as, you know, maybe even if, even if it's just tangentially related to ratings, uh, as far as the, the college football goes. I, I will, I will get back on this whole, not just college football, but football fatigue. Um, like what is going to be the long-term effect of that? We're now at the point in November where you're getting football seven days a week. I mean, do we, everyone loves football. I love football. I love watching football. I don't need it seven days a week. And, uh, you know, but, but what, Austin, what are the long-term effects of that? Yeah. I mean, so the, the, you know, it's, it's, it's still unknown for me. I mean, I, I, I believe in fatigue and oversaturation and all those things, but I, I think, you know, that, the, the you know, folks are looking to find sort of, okay, but what's the, what's the intersection of the, the most money we can make and acceptable levels of fatigue, right? I mean, so they're, they're trying to maximize uh, revenue, and I, I don't know how they're going to do that without fatigue. I mean, is, is it possible to, to grow the, the, the revenue with, without adding more windows and more days? I don't know that. I mean, that's, that's what I think everyone is struggling with right now is, is trying to find the best answer and the best place to put their games and to maximize revenue while, and give fans what they want, which is the availability of, of every game. You don't, you don't want fans complaining, oh, I couldn't find this game. Yep. There is no more of that. I mean, you could find, you know, Harvard, Yale on TV now. Like every game is available. So, and, and Matt, Matt, feel free to, feel free to chime in in on this as well. But I mean, so I see a lot of, and it's probably just, you know, the, 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 the way, the way Twitter has been this year. Uh, you know, I, I see a lot more uh, hand wringing over the NFL ratings, which I, I probably don't agree with, but, uh, um, but I also see a lot of people telling me, yeah, you know, NFL sucks and it's no fun to watch, but college, Oh, I watch so much more college now and Austin, I hear you may be pushing back on that narrative. No, I, I think the pro- if, if we're just talking about the entertainment value of the products this season, in particular, it's it's really been college football is is great. It really has been. It really has. And been. the NFL product, not so much. I I, I have yeah, to agree. Austin, I, I I completely agree with Austin as well. And and I'll note, uh, you know, this, this word we use a lot in, in these kind of conversations of tonnage and just the, the amount of programming to eat up time on networks. You know, John talks about it all the time. Jim Miller talks about it all the time. And, and, and many times it's in connection to Major League Baseball and the, and the raw number of games yep. in a Major League Baseball season and how it eats up a lot of programming, which, which is needed for these networks that program, you know, 24-7, And college football is is generally that same way i mean there are a lot of games and, and while you can find anything that's i think that's uh that's a good thing for many networks that they can find a home for it and don't have to go get something else to fill a spot however in terms of growing the revenue i'm i am um i'm curious to see how this in-game six second advertising uh kind of plays across networks i think fox it seems like has had some success with this in the world series and they've duplicated it into some other sports programming but if that is a, a, a unit that becomes more prevalent uh, and that networks can find uh, the, the way to monetize it at a rate equal to or greater than what they're getting for 30s now, which seems crazy to say out loud that that would ever be the case, but I'll stick to the theme right now. Um, I, I think that could be kind of a 
no pun intended here, but a game changing way to view college sports and college football on TV. Because the other thing, as we can't kind of ignore here, is length of game matters, right? L- length of game matters to the to the viewer at home, but it also matters to the fan in the stands. Yep. And so if we can find a way to, to, to tighten the length of game uh, through some new ad units and still drive equal or greater revenue for the networks, um, that could be a significant change that is in the positive for both, A, putting more butts in seats, which every athletic director around the nation is worried about, B, potentially driving even greater viewership of, uh, of games online and, and on traditional platforms, which every network executive and every conference commissioner is worried about. So that's, that's kind of a, a, a niche storyline that, that I find um, curious to continue looking at. The other, the other note here in terms of saturation, and, and look, like sports gambling is generally a forbidden topic uh, in college athletics. Not, of, not on this podcast. Of, no, it's not. So <laughs> it, it's not. So here's what I want to bring up, and it just came out. I think this is an article yesterday. New York Times. This is Thursday. Some, yeah, Joe Drape, right? And, and so now bookmakers in Vegas – are nearly seeing a one-to-one uh, betting uh, handle on college football in aggregate as they are in NFL in aggregate. So, yep. like, that's fascinating as yep. a proxy for interest. If that's yep. a proxy market for interest in college football uh, and, and therefore college football on TV to watch how these games play out, play out like, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah we also, t- you know, in SBJ this week, I think we also tackled the gambling thing and, you know, with the decision coming up before the Supreme Court, if that goes the way of, you know, if that opens up, if sports gambling opens up in the United States and you're seeing sports books left and right, yeah, you could definitely see that sort of industry explode. Yeah, that's, I I, I, I don't know if it was, I can't remember, I'm, I'm, I am definitely getting old. I, I don't know if it was actually actually John at, uh, at Sports Business Journal or Mulvihill uh, who recently tweeted out that they thought that the, it's the biggest biggest story in sports media right now is is the gambling. What makes sense? I know Mike is big. He likes uh, you know, horse racing. The horses, He's yeah. very, very knowledgeable in that space. So that would make sense if it came from Mike. Well, I mean, I think yeah, so. And, and I'll say... I'll, go ahead, I'm sorry. I'll say living in, yeah, living in Louisville to, to build off of um, Austin's point and Mike's interest in sports, uh, sports uh, excuse me, horse racing, like horse racing and the gambling associated with horse racing is in the DNA of the city of Louisville. So uh, that is, it's another reason why I find this uh, kind of line of development in the industry and what happens. That's heck that's a week away that the Supreme court's going to start listening to those arguments in the New Jersey case. So absolutely a groundbreaking uh, uh, potential development that could, we could be facing here in a couple of months. Yeah. It, yeah and the it, fact that the court even is taking up the case is really good news, you know, for the possibility of expanded sports gaming. Yeah, I mean, so my 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 take is and 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 will remain that uh, I am I'm bullish on sports on TV uh regardless, but I'm way way more bullish about sports on TV if uh if gambling is legalized uh, sort of across the board. No, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I, I I'd be curious and and Robert if I can kind of step into your seat for a second. I would love to hear Austin's opinion because it's one that's um I think asked around the highest levels of college athletics all the time. And we talk about potential digital players being uh, kind of uh, bolt on partners to large TV uh, packages or premier TV called tier one rights deals in college athletics. And, and then there's still this subset of the market. I think that, that looks at the Amazons specifically Amazon and Facebook, I think as the primary rights holder, our potential primary rights holder, which I can't 
quite get my head across that chasm of thinking they would be actually producing the games as well. How do you see that playing out in the next, like, five to seven years? Well, if we talk about it in terms of the college space, doesn't it make more sense, if you are a Google, a Facebook, a Twitter, to get into the college space first before you would make a huge play for something like the NFL? I mean, you, you can get so much more bang for your buck and have room for experiments on the college sports side. So, yeah, I, I do see them getting into that maybe first before one of them would buy a large NFL package. Um, yeah, the question is on the production side, that's a very important question. Like th- that's not their core business. Um, do they want to get into that or do they, you know, sub license that out, but then still air, uh, you know, Mountain West football on Amazon, like they, you know, like they do with the TNF branding now. So they could, I, I could see them doing something like that. Not too far in the future. Now the, the one item that um, is I think of interest to watch is Amazon in terms of their prime, um, the number of prime subscribers they have in the U S and the saturation that they have uh, in, in terms of that vertical and that product. It just feels like they're trying to go take moonshots with international rights and fa- Facebook too. We know they lost out on the Indian premier league cricket stuff, but um, that's, that's also where I wonder you know, can college sports really even move the needle for, for companies like Amazon and Facebook to drive significant more revenue to their bottom line when we're already talking about multi-billion dollar companies? I, I, don't, I don't know. And I, that's why I think you're going to see them continue to do this with smaller properties well below the NFL level, because that's all everyone talks about is, oh, they're going to do NFL, they're going to do NFL. They need to see if it is going to increase revenue. And so they can experiment with things like ATP or properties like that. And that's actually more of a global play too. You know, you only have a few tournaments here in the U.S. And Austin, we hear a lot about and read a lot about, and you guys certainly debated internally a ton, could the NFL lead this transition to the major digital players with one of their premier packages? Um, And I, I, I guess I can't quite get there either on why they would go off terrestrial even if the money's better taking it from your package onto digital because of the raw mass of eyeballs they may lose from one platform to another? No, it's a big question. It's a definitely, a, you know, an interesting inflection point for them as to what, what they do and where they go. Uh, do, if they do streaming, do they do it with a partner or do they keep it on the NFL, you know, mobile app or the NFL set to whatever app they have and where you, you know, you click on NFL L's app and, you know, you have to pay a special premium price to get a Thursday night package only through them. Maybe that's how they make it up. They charge you, you know, 30 bucks for the month or a hundred bucks for the season, like you're doing with your Sunday ticket package. Now, maybe that's the way they can do it through streaming. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm, I'm on the record and anybody who wants to bet me that, uh, that uh, the NFL will give an exclusive rights package uh, to one of the digital players in the next round. I am, I am open to take your money or to have you take mine. I, I just don't see, to, to, to your question, Matt, I don't see any situation, even if the money is tremendous, where the NFL is going to say, we're going to take three times as much money, even if it cuts our following in half just to make the money. I, I just can't see that happening. Yeah, agreed. No, I, don't, I don't know if, the, if, the, if, the, uh, if it's there yet, if, if there's critical mass on eyeballs on streaming devices to justify that even in your next round of rights fees in 2021. I mean, I think it might be 
seven years after that that we're talking about where, I mean, like you said, it's not about cash. These companies have the cash to be players. It's just whether all the eyeballs are there yet. We're going there. We're not there yet. Yeah, and I mean, and not to mention that even if the eyeballs are there, I don't think the technology is there to handle all the eyeballs at once. And, and, and I, you know, I still have the question, like, what is the, what is the rush to disrupt pretty good technology for, uh, for broadcasting, uh, you know, uh, video content? They're just trying to keep up with, with digital trends. And, you know, we're just, we're right in the middle of, of you know, that people cutting the cord and, and going completely digital. But then it's kind of a mix. People still do both now. So we're, I don't know that the NFL can do that, you know, go a, a package completely digital like that without losing, a, you know, a ton of eyeballs. So we're going we're gonna to do a little pause here and maybe have a little bit of fun. So, Matt, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. But Austin Carp is a is a cord cutter. I am aware of it. I was I was about to ask him if what kind of data you guys have internally uh, from those who have cut the cord on uh, either the experience they appreciate uh, most about cutting a cord, which could be you know price sensitive and consumer related, or B for so for me I'm, I'm not a cord cutter, but I do watch plenty of stuff on my my uh, my iPhone. And the item that just kills me at times is, is the lag. And, and sure, it's only, yeah, latency, right. So it's, it's, maybe it's only 30 seconds to 120 seconds. But if, if it's a big game that I happen to be watching on my phone because no I'm out Twitter, without, No Twitter, no Twitter, no Twitter. No Twitter, but even, but, even, but even more, you guys, for me, it's, you know, we all have buddies and you're watching the same oh, they game. Oh, text Something you, big yeah. happens and. Yeah, and you and you can't no text like it pops yep. up on your screen. I guess you can somehow fix that. But uh, breaking yeah, news I alert! Can't. I got a breaking news alert this weekend that you know, oh, so and so upset so and so, and I was still watching the game <laughs> the last couple. Of plays. And that just kills. That's a buzz kill, man. So, Total so buzz that kill. Is, you know, there are technical issues as well, and that's why I mean it just gets back to the point that it's just not there yet. So Austin, describe like so describe both your best and your worst experiences this this uh, fall as a cord cutter okay i could do that but just to get back to matt's point we don't have like any real internal data like it's more anecdotal than anything right now but uh you know but, but sticking with that you know anecdotally i my experiences are that with the streaming is that the commercials are always the same <laughs> um i feel like i'm getting the same commercial you know 17 times during a particular game and it, it is it just drives it drives me nuts it's it's like a clockwork orange situation when i'm sitting there watching a game sometimes yeah anyone who has uh mlb tv is very familiar with uh with what you just described yeah i mean it, it could be you know it's frustrating seeing the same things over and over and over and over and over again and, and that's even on big streaming plays like espn or watch espn so, uh, personal experience. Just how about the worst one? What was what was the the most frustrated you were as a cord cutter this fall? I mean, when a game freezes in the fourth quarter. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's bad. Oh, you know, the stream freezes, and you know you got to you got to you know exit and restart, and you you miss a very important play. You know, I can't. I know it's happened a couple times this fall. I can't remember. It probably didn't happen during any of my Georgia Tech games. I don't think so. But uh, definitely when I was watching some other stuff, it, it, it would drop out when I'm trying to watch an important play. And you just can't have that happen. Yeah. That's not – it's just terrible. Hey, just, just for future reference, uh, are, are you playing around with like an over-the-air antenna or, or are you not doing any of that? No, I've not done that yet. Okay. 
that, that's a that's a test I'm going to do uh, for myself as well. So uh, I, I wanted I wanted to, uh, to to get back to the gambling. I, I had that on the list, uh, the list to talk about, and it just kind of came up organically. But I, I wanted to know uh, what you both thought would probably happen as you know, what, what do you think the Supremes will do? Wow. To ask to ask me what the Supreme Court will decide is uh is two different ends of the spectrum in terms of expertise <laughs> on legal matters. However, I, I would generally agree with you that the, and I think Austin may have said it, that the fact they are hearing the case alone is indicative potentially of, of the, what the outcome may be. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of anxious leaders across college athletics, uh, starting with those in Indianapolis for, you know, the next three to five months until we have a decision here, where it goes, I'm not sure I'd, I'd even have an inclination of, of where it could go legally, but I think maybe more so um, I'm, I'm, I'm super curious to watch if it is approved and if sports gambling becomes legalized, you know, how quick this ramp up is for states, uh, for, for business outfits that become licensed to do so the entry of, of major brands that we see across the Atlantic in Europe that are all over, you know, soccer. Uh, so I'd be curious, like I'm no different maybe than Austin and, and his crew, um, how the business elements of this were to play out. Yep. Austin. Well, I'm going to attempt to put my law degree to some use here, but uh, <laughs> I, I could, I could just as easily, you know, be a surgeon these days. I haven't really uh, used that degree in a while, but uh, I mean, like, like, like Matt was talking about, you know, the fact that the Supreme Court granted cert to this issue is, is, a big, is a big plus on that side getting approved. So, like, let's say it does get, a, sports gambling does get, you know, approved by the uh, Supreme Court. Then you have issues over whether Congress will take it up. Yeah. Then it becomes a state rights issue. You know, which states, states have to set up, you know, legislation and, and, and governance within each state, you know, it, it becomes a massive national national issue. You're not just going to see, you know, sports buff, sports books spring up at, you know, every, every local casino uh, very very quickly. Although that's what people are going to want to do. You'll see it in places where there's already maybe gambling infrastructure. The states that had the, uh, you know, like New Jersey, where there was already you know a system set up. But I mean, it'd be a massive undertaking. Right. So, uh, any uh, any thoughts on the sort of the the current the current state of uh, daily fantasy sports? Uh, from what it looks like, from what we see at day in and day out at Sports Business Daily, is that it, it, it's kind of, you know, come down a little bit. Everyone knows that, you know, two, three falls ago when uh, there, was, there was the advertising left and right during college football that, that fall, and uh, we're definitely light years away from that. And now you hear about merger, you know, the merger between, yeah. the potential merger, I guess, now between FanDuel and DraftKings and uh, FanDuel's CEO leaving to pursue other ventures. So I think it's really calmed down in that space. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the, the legal costs that they were facing having to fight state, you know, governments left and right. Right. Do, do, either, of you guys, do, do either of you guys subscribe to the notion that um, daily fantasy sports, specifically as it applies to the NFL, has actually decreased interest in – watching the games because of a result of a you know these programmatic approaches to winning 
to, to winning fantasy sports for many daily and in, in, in even smaller leagues or pots that are out there, but also that it's just become this individualized consumption metric for maybe it's millennials and the younger generation and that the actual teams don't have as much affinity anymore. Is there anything to that in your opinion? Uh, so I can go quickly. So I, I, I buy into it at least a little bit in, in a couple of ways. So, so, for, so for one, I think there, there is something to uh, the, the, the way that the daily fantasy sports works that you can kind of get all your dopamine rush from it without actually having to consume any of the, of the actual sports product. Um, and I, I think to, to some degree that's happened uh, to, to sort of good old-fashioned fantasy as well. Uh, as you know, between uh, highlights availability on sports, you know, on uh, social media and just kind of not having to consume the actual live game uh, to, to, to take care of any of that. So I, I, I buy into it at least a little bit. You know, I'm not sure exactly how much I would buy into that. I, you know, I, I like seeing empirical data on things and I haven't seen anything you know, to that nature of, of that nature. I'm not saying it's not possible, but, uh, you know, I haven't seen anything to that effect. Uh, I just think daily fantasy was somewhat of a, of a fad. And, uh, you know, once people figured out that it was essentially like online poker, where there's 1% of people winning, you know, 90% of the, of the money out there, it just wasn't worth people's time to try and do it. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, you know, Austin talked about the, uh, you know, the, you know, the, the good rollout of uh, Big Ten on Fox um, and uh, and Fox is, is very positive on it. What, what have you heard from the, you know, the Big Ten administrators uh, about how they feel? Well, I, th- I think they're pretty satisfied with how things are going. And uh, the expectation when they did the deal was to have this level of visibility in, in the right windows and some premier matchups. Um, you know, when when Jim Delaney uh, did the length of this contract, which means they're going to be back on the market uh, in with some premier rights, uh, even ahead of uh, the Pac-12, ahead of the Big 12. Um, really, sa- in, in my view, some, a really savvy piece of uh, st- strategy there by, by Jim and, and his team and those who consulted him on that rights deal in terms of timing. The other storyline, uh, if I can go just a, a little bit, um, uh, tangentially here, Robert, is the other storyline that's about to hit us right in the face. And I don't know how much it matters in the grand scheme of things other than the PR and the um, interest around the game and the trajectory of that story. I mean, look, the college football playoff is a month away. The semifinals are a touch over a month away. We're going back to New Year's Day. Yep. And I, I hope I'm not fast forwarding here too much and you had it on your list, Robert, but that's that's going to be um, those those numbers are going to be really important for the storyline of college football this year. Oh, 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 no, no, no doubt about it. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the new year's day thing is a, is a, is a big deal. And, uh, and there will be, uh, you know, a lot of attention paid to those numbers. Uh, I, I, uh, and this I, weekend too, this, this weekend are essentially quarterfinal games. Like the CFP couldn't have asked for a better slate of conference championships. Yeah. So, so, uh, for, for next year, I know to, uh, not schedule the college football ratings extravaganza until like uh, maybe December tenth. <laughs> more, more more important numbers out there for sure. Yeah, I uh, I, I, uh, I you know le- podcasting is 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 uh, learning learning as you go. So I 
I definitely, I definitely learned about timing uh, uh, for this one. But, th but this is still very helpful. And uh, you guys can help me on this one, too. So, uh, Austin, I'm with you generally uh, that, uh, you know, if you don't have empirical data, it's, it's, not, it's not worth weighing in. Um, and, uh, you know, on the, uh, on the issue of rights fees, I think there's empirical data that says, you know what, you could kind of ignore the ratings data. The rights fees are probably going to go up anyway. Um, but I, I'm, I'm just wondering what you both think on that score, whether whether there's any any information from from, you know, this year's college ratings that, it, that are going to inform future rights. I, I don't know that you even need, like you said, that you even need to look at the ratings to know that the next round of rights fees are going to continue to go up. I don't see a bubble bursting yet. I mean, everyone said when NASCAR's numbers were going through the floor uh, before their last rights deal. And there's no way they're going to get an increase. And they got the increase. Right. And if you're talking about that for NASCAR, I, I, I don't see any sort of bubble bursting for college football or for, especially for the NFL. Matt? Yeah, Rob, Robert, you, you and I talked about this a little bit on our last podcast and the role that advertisers play within the ecosystem. So I, I'm in complete agreement with Austin here that uh, the, the value of the programming to these networks in many different capacities, both what they can turn the commercial airtime into from a monetary standpoint, um, playing a protectionism game so that more stuff doesn't go digital or that their competitors don't get it. I, I still think there's plenty of oomph here for college football to see rights increases. But there's the sub-story lines can't be ignored, of course, and that is the, uh, what's happening at ESPN and yep. what, it, what ESPN does with some pro packages and how that could impact what money they have or don't have to spend um, in the coming years, the succession of Robert Iger, I think, is a sub-story that absolutely has to be watched for college athletics administrators. Uh, the digital game, of course, is, uh, is yep. another one. So I, I'm with you generally, but, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, – I don't know if it's right to say there's thunder clouds or, or thunderstorms on the horizon, but there's some darker clouds that you, that's, it's really curious to see how, how they will um, how impact the, uh, the, the weather, if you will, in the next decade. All right, so I'm something gonna... that Matt, Matt mentioned about the succession of Bob Iger, I, I totally agree with that. Like that is, I, mean, I don't know. I want to say it's it's being underreported, but you know he's an incredibly savvy businessman. I mean, you look at some of the acquisitions he's he's made, and you know r runs his company very well. Just to see who comes in after that and what, you know, what their relationship is with with, with sports in general, I think will be very interesting. Yeah, I, I, and I would add, I would add I would add to the to the ESPN narrative too that this this ESPN plus OTT play, I don't know. To me, it still feels like this nebulous idea, and it's going to launch you know in spring of next year. And and Iger said publicly it's going to include you know college sports programming. W what does that mean? Like, wh what is it going to include that's of value? And we know it's not going to be linear programming as it exists now. So I, I am fascinated to see how it's uh, how it's how it's parceled, how it's sold, uh, what the programming is, how it's uh, engaged with by the marketplace, even in niche pockets, because it might be some mid some mid major uh, mid major programming that doesn't have a linear home right now. So that that's certainly another one to add to the list. Absolutely, yeah, I think they'll definitely have to start you know a little smaller, like any you know upstart entity does. But uh, I, I just hope people don't write it off immediately and allow it to, kind of, you know, kind of grow with the changing, you know, media consumption uh, patterns. Yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll get you out of here on uh, on a tough one. And uh, Matt, I'll let you go first. 
Who's your Who's your final four for the college football playoff? <laughs> um, well, I'm going to go at this from the angle of what would be the final four that could generate the best ratings. Go and for it. That's what I want. Aust- yeah. Yeah. Austin, you, you may have written about this or, or, or Oran wrote about this, or maybe it was, maybe it was somebody else about the geographic representation that generates the most, the, the best ratings. I, for I the saw CFD. that now. Hang on. This is the article where the guy wrote South South would be awful. That one. I, I think so. And, and what I want to say first about this is like, we have a really small sample size to even make any conclusion within that debate. Within uh, that debate, so when I read when I read it, I thought, oh, I'm not even going to include this because it, it doesn't quite make sense to me yet to be able to to make any conclusions here. However, um, you know, I, I, I think Clemson uh, is is probably the best team right now. The this game, the game with Miami this weekend, is certainly of interest, and Miami we know has a national appeal from maybe it's bad boy image back in the eighties and I, I've got to imagine it would generate some eyeballs. So I'm going to actually say, um, and, 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 and you guys will have different opinions. I'm sure I'm going to go best potential for, for ratings, Miami, Alabama, Auburn, Oklahoma. I don't know if there's a way I can fit Ohio state in there. If I'm going to say Alabama and, and Auburn make it, but I'll, I'll go with those four. Austin. From a ratings perspective, yeah, you got to have Alabama in there. You got to have, I think, Ohio State in there. And I think, uh, you know, Clemson helps out. And I also think a second SEC team absolutely would help out. How that would work, I don't know. But, uh, you know, yeah, like an Alabama, Auburn, Clemson, Ohio State, that, that delivers solid ratings. I don't think it's going to be that. I mean, my final four, I think, are Oklahoma, Auburn, Wisconsin, and Clemson. And I really like Oklahoma right now. Yeah, so I, I am uh, I'm I'm torn because I'm 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 with you on the ratings, Matt, but uh, I'm I'm with Austin in real life. Austin, Matt, thanks very much for uh, joining the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Thanks again for having us. Sounds great, Robert. Thanks so much for having me again. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Austin Carp and Matt Roberts for joining the podcast. You can find all the past podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and SportsTVRatings.com. Thanks for listening.